This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric is making me laugh before we begin rolling with facial expressions in reaction to me commenting on my old man leg pain that I'm experiencing. Eye rolling at his neurotic co-host. But it's the combination. It's like old man stuff as delivered to you by somebody from maybe a preschool environment. <laughs> a teacher or a student? That's an unusual... I'm having an unusual leg feeling, Christopher says, <laughs> which, is, which is, I think... A more juvenile way of saying something that's about being an old man symptom. I just, it, it made me smile and roll my eyes at the same time. You did smile. That was good. And I use that sort of generic academic language because I know if I'm very specific about what I'm feeling, you'll have a very specific response. Because there's always trying to prevent me from having responses. He, there's some fantasy land <laughs> in which he dwells, in which I don't respond to things like, we wouldn't have a podcast if I had no responses. Like, what would we even be doing here? I know. And most of what I hear when I go out on the road and meet people who listen to our podcast is, Eric's rants are the best. You're all right, but that Eric, he is so funny. I mean, you're okay. I'm glad you're there. Like, you turn on the air conditioning, I guess, or whatever. But that Eric, he's amazing. He no. also made the tea. I also, I did, because I got here first. Whoever right. gets here first makes the tea. Makes the tea. That's the rule. Okay, that's enough. That's enough tomfoolery. That's enough chit-chat. That's enough blah, 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 Well, blah, blah. it's a very big, it's a big occasion. Yes, it is. We're kicking off Antober. <laughs> I wrote it into the script. I was like, what's a celebratory title that we can use to pay tribute to my wonderful late mother? I'm going to put Antober in the script. Eric's going to hate it and tear it apart. I love it. And just immediately warm to it. You just I just it. love it. Well, it's a month that's all about Anne. Yes, it like, is. Like, it's her birthday month. We've just mm-hmm. um, recognized her birthday. I don't know yeah. that it's quite the same celebration now that we've lost her. But yeah. we certainly recognized her and shared memories about um her birthday, one of them at least, and we've got lots more. There are a lot of birthdays over the years. She got up to 80 there right near the end. Um, So we've got a lot of different birthdays to go. And it's also Halloween, Mm -hmm. and 
It's also the month of the Lestat balls and the big celebrations in New Orleans mm-hmm. in and around the fan club and um, her works and the, the Vampire Chronicles. And, you know, there's there's a lot of – it's just a very Anne month. So Anne-tober, I could actually change the month to being that. And and I, let's make that a tradition because I'll tell you one thing, not to go too dark, although we are talking about – You have about problems with Anne October? Rice. No, I have problems with – so much energy being expended on the anniversary of someone's death. Yeah. And particularly because she did die so close to the holidays. So that was that was the toughest day for me, the year after she died, yeah. was that anniversary. The Thanksgiving. Yeah. So um, I, I love celebrating her birthday. I love celebrating the month when people traditionally gather in New Orleans, as you said, to celebrate her legacy. Um, we'll have information later in the show about how you can stay connected to our ever-evolving plans to host a celebration of yeah. life. Maybe Antober's a good time to think about maybe. We haven't maybe. picked a date yet, but, but it would be a great month to actually celebrate her. We want to be clear. There are things happening this October that we'll talk about later in the show as well. They are not the celebration of life that we have been talking about. They're a separate thing, and we'll we'll lay that all out for you and and, and Suspense. Detail. We're establishing yeah. suspense here early in the show. It's foreshadowing of segments to come. There's also a reveal later in the show. We I conducted an informal poll on Anne's Facebook page, which generated 4,000 responses, and we will have the results, the mathematically calculated, not by me, so you know the math is good, <laughs> results of that poll at the end of the of show. Time. <laughs> Finding the poll, I went to because I knew we were going to talk about it. I was like, well, I should probably, you know, review what was asked in the poll. And I was like, we should pin this to the top. And then I got there and it was like 4,000 responses. No, if we'd pinned it to the top, there would be 50,000 responses (laughs) and we'd have to hire a priced water house to come in and calculate the results. I was talking with the wonderful staff member who is tabulating the results and I was just uh, just thought I'd check in and see how far you are. This was earlier this week because I knew we were going to do this and she's like, I only have a thousand responses to go. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize it was quite that involved. But um, we got different categories of response. It's very, I'm very impressed with her work. Very excited about what, what she did. What is the poll? What is the? So the poll was this. I basically asked people, what is your favorite Anne Rice novel that was not a Vampire Chronicle or a Mayfair Witch novel? And I have to say, compliance with those conditions was not universal. A few people didn't apparently read the fine print and said, well, it was a Vampire Lestat. And I'm like, that's a Vampire Chronicles novel. But I was curious outside of those two series what people were the most passionate about. But speaking of passion. The person who I think is best to speak for Ann Tober is also joining us um, in this segment in one of our very special um, segments from, God, 2018? I think it was 2015. Wow. I'm, I could be wrong the about that. The olden days, yeah. This was the Lestat Coronation Ball uh, that, that, that was held in New Orleans to celebrate the publication of the novel Prince Lestat, the return of Lestat in printed form. And the morning after, literally the morning after, I can't believe we got my mother to do this. She was so all about kicking her feet up if she did a big event like this. We descended on her hotel room. Her feet room. were kicked when we were doing this. We were in the hotel room. She was in her uh, traditional flannel nightgown with her feet kicked up and a cup of coffee in her hand. Absolutely. And so we now bring you this special excerpt of that interview, uh, which was recorded in New Orleans, Louisiana, in her suite at the Monteleone Hotel in the French Quarter. I think it was the Truman Capote suite. 
Oh, right. It was something glamorous. I remember one of the, I ordered breakfast downstairs, <laughs> and the, the staff, the person who brought the breakfast said, oh, yeah, and you know, Anne Rice is staying upstairs in room 602. I was like, oh, well, I'm great. I'm glad you're That's telling just secure. random people in the... <laughs> You seem nice, I'll tell you. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so now we're going to take you directly to that suite and back in time for a lovely interview treat with Anne Rice. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And who are you, ma'am? <laughs> we have invaded your hotel suite right, here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Right? We are not going to say where your hotel suite is because we don't want, you know... Uh, you know, unwelcome visitors at your door in the middle of the night. You mean besides us? Besides us and our recording equipment. But this is our first ever remote edition of the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And so naturally. It, it is the day after the Lestat Coronation Ball in New Orleans. And we're going to talk about who wore what and who gave the dark gift to who and who got second lined. And let's start with the most important question. Did you have a good time? I had an incredibly good time. 20, 26 years the fan club, Lestat's fan club, uh, has been giving these balls, and this was, for me, one of the best. It was really incredible. Susie Kiros deserves all the credit. She was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. It was quite the event. It was. It was quite the event. I, I think you have to see something like this in New Orleans to believe it, really. It can't be described what it's like to go into a big space where a thousand people are gathered with uh, in people every chanting. Costume. And, yes, in every imaginable costume. Related to vampires, ghosts, witches, fantasy, Halloween, whatever. It was just, it was just splendid. Absolutely splendid. Well, thank you for your time. That's all we have on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, the thing that kept occurring to me last night as it was happening, and it really was, it was... It, it was beyond the carnation. It was the resurrection ball. There was the, it was like a tribal priestess returning home and all of these people involved in all of their fantasies and all of their ways that they were connected. What must it have been like for you to stand there and feel... When you write a book, you're creating something, but all of this was as a result of your creative imagination. Like Obviously, other people were joining in, but still, the seed of it all was you. Well, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I, I feel gratitude, just incredible gratitude. I mean, any author who tells you that she doesn't care whether or not she, her books are read is lying. I mean, I, I became an author to be read. And so to have <clears throat> all these people coming here to celebrate um, this ball and all of these people saying, we've been reading your books for years, your books have inspired us, we're dressed as this character, that character, it's incredibly rewarding. Incredibly, but they're almost taking dizzyingly. it into their lives. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost intoxicating, right? Yeah. yeah, there were moments when you would look over the balcony at the the crowd below and have this sort of—you were just watching, like in amazement, almost of like, oh I my was. god! I was, and I was watching all these people have a really benign good time. You know, it was a very wholesome, wonderful atmosphere. What did you say last year? We attended the ball last year, but it was a different feel because Lestat wasn't back yet. This it was year, a different Lestat venue, too. It, it was, was also a, a different venue, mm -hmm. and you went down to the stage last year and spoke on stage. But this year, they brought you a microphone up to the second level, and you addressed the crowd, Ava Perone style. <laughs> but you said something last year on stage where you said it was about the people there had figured something out, what life was about, that life was about beauty and enjoyment or some combination mm -hmm. yeah. of the two. Yeah, they were living their fantasies. Right. They were they were romantics and they were poets and they were 
They were they were dressing up, dressing to the nines, and living their fantasies, and it was wonderful to see that. And I felt the same thing this year. I mean, I absolutely love them, and I love it, it's. It's wonderful to see these people come up to you with dresses that they've carefully made and assembled, all filled uh -huh. with sequins and paste jewels and, and bustles and ruffles and lace. And the men in the gorgeous frock coats and, and uh, you know, um, paisley vests and satin and bright colors and the layers of lace at the And throat. the hats. There yeah, were hats all the hats were cool. Yeah. Totally yeah. cool. And yeah, the it, Dia de los Muertes hat, the woman who had the yeah. skeleton, full skeleton standing on her head. It was yes. spectacular. Yes. So nobody prepared us for what was waiting for us right when we got there, but when our limo bus pulled up, there was a huge line of people outside of the nightclub, which was Republic in the warehouse district on South Peters. And, and then the fan club officials descended upon the door of the limo bus and began handing out handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. And they gave you an umbrella. A little black umbrella, a little black satin umbrella with ruffles. Which is all equipment for a second line, which is a New Orleans thing. There's actually second lines going on outside our hotel right now because people, when they get married in New Orleans, they have a second line. Or the funeral. That's where I think it started was funeral. I know. And then the weddings the took line. it over. Uh, but they gave you the umbrella, and typically in a second line, as one member of our party pointed out, you, you bounce the umbrella up yes, and down, but yes. you held it very primly against your head as if you were shielding yourself. Well, you know, I knew rain. I was supposed to be dancing and, and, and dancing and bouncing the umbrella about, but I, I felt that I should remain grateful and, and happy about what they were doing. And yeah. I didn't try to upstage them. You know, I just held my little umbrella. <laughs> and I gazed in awe at the Mardi Gras Indians right. who were greeting us. I was going to say, upsetting, upstaging anybody in that setting was a waste <laughs> of anybody's time. It was astonishing. They were chanting, Anne Rice is home, the storyteller is home. And yeah. everyone in these thousands of people were chanting it with us. And yeah. we were walking behind, waving the handkerchiefs in the air. And you were just drinking it in. It was I amazing. know. So, so I was deliberately not, you know flashing about with my umbrella. I didn't, I didn't. You felt I, like a member of the audience in a way. You wanted to I see everything like they were doing. I felt like a dead person at a funeral. I was being honored and I should lie there like that. You know? What would the funeral be if the corpse got up and stole focus? Yeah, well, you know what the corpses corpse are always trying to steal funerals. But, but yeah. let me explain something for, for the people who are listening. If you don't know what a Mardi Gras Indian is, this is a long tradition uh, in the black community in New Orleans of Mardi Gras Indians. These are people that work on their costumes all year. Unbelievable And the costumes, costumes. are Ameri Native American costumes, but they're much fantasized, and they have huge amounts of colored feathers. And mar traditional Mardi Gras Indians are very individ individualistic about their costumes right. and, and very delightfully competitive. And they have territories in the black right. community where uh, one Mardi Gras Indian reigns and another one reigns. And they don't go into each other's territory without very official greetings and dances and so forth. And two Mardi Gras Indians, quite official Mardi Gras Indians, met us at the bus and they were the ones doing the chanting. So that's a great crowd. honor in New Orleans to any little girl born in the city when you have a right. real authentic Mardi Gras Indian yeah. reading you. And right. and this Indian was absolutely incredible and it, she was a she. Mm -hmm. And she was doing the chanting that I can't imitate, but you can give mm -hmm. the, you can give the listeners a, a Anne wrote the story. Yeah. Anne is back. Yeah. The Queen is back. I mean just over and over and we said it would be great to have her go to the airport with you. Anne has a flight. <laughs> 
She's got to get to Chicago. <laughs> but, but you yeah. know, she really, she was doing just a bang-up job because was every line was different. Yeah. And she was rhyming and it she was, was making like, it, it up was as she like went along. It was like slam poetry is what it was, it was fabulous. like. It was like a poetry performance. And, and yeah. it captured the yeah. audience. It captured the audience. And we, we danced into the middle of this big nightclub, which was a great space because it was one gigantic room with a upper story, mm -hmm. uh, you know, balconies all around where you could look down. And we stood in the middle of the dance floor and the Indians kept up this incredible salute and dance and chant and, and, and I was that, so yeah. honored man and I the people so on two levels joining yes. in with that yes. chant and with yes. that rhythm and dancing with you and yes and we were all swinging our little white handkerchiefs you know uh, I joked that that because I was the tallest member of the group I was really just swinging the handkerchief to keep the group together as we were pushing <laughs> through the crowd you know because yeah. I was also thinking that there's no way any celebrity, author or otherwise, could have done this in any city that wasn't New Orleans. There's no, no way security would have allowed no, them to do it because no. we just went straight through the middle of the club, right yes, through the middle of everyone with yes. maybe two guys on either side of us. But, yes, it you was know, great. And people yeah. fell, melted away, and then folded back in behind you. Terrific it was vibes. Beautiful. Terrific vibes. I mean, I, I, I wonder what would happen if you did fly the whole second line team, including the Mardi Gras Indians, to another city and try this. I don't know. I don't know if that it would work because when you do something like this here, everybody around you begins to swing and dance and right. stomp and clap and join in, join in, and they all know how to do that. They know how to just give themselves to that Dionysian dimension. It was. It really might be. Great. Have you ever seen that famous video of Ronald and Nancy Reagan trying to clap along with the gospel choir and they're completely totally. out of rhythm yes. just for the whole time? <laughs> that made, that's sort of what it's like when New Orleans music tries to go uh, <laughs> transnational, if you will. But the amplification did come from the spirit of the crowd. They yes. caught, it was like that thing they used to do in the, the Occupy Wall Street thing with the microphone where they didn't have a microphone and everybody would repeat what the speaker was saying and it would echo through the crowd yeah. as a result. They picked up the energy and right. it went on and on. After oh, doing yeah, the we dance did. floor, it, we then went upstairs sure, and for, stood yeah. on the second balcony and you regarded yeah. the crowd and they reacted to you. And yeah. But we did on. that dance down there in the center for everybody to see and participate in. And that, that's one of the things I love about these balls. They're unstructured and they're, and, and, and they're there for everybody to join in. And there, and there is no uh, elite group or anything like that. We did sit upstairs in a section where there was limited access but we invited people in all night long you know mm -hmm. to talk to right. in groups and oh it was it's, it's astonishing just there was even a, a marriage proposal oh yes can we go to the marriage proposal can we describe that yes absolutely well two people came up and the woman was in what i would call an akasha costume she was uh, wearing uh she was beautiful just mm -hmm. gorgeous and and the man was in a top hat of some sort and a wonderful black frock coat and, and vest and he asked me if he could propose to her Right in front of me, and I said, "Well, of course." Well, she was completely surprised. So she, wait, did he did he whisper it to you so yes, she wouldn't hear? Yes, she had no idea. Oh, okay. He said, "I want to propose to her," and I and I said, "Absolutely." And he pulled out the ring, and she was completely surprised. And he knelt down, proposed to her, put the diamond ring on her finger, and it was a great diamond ring. I can wow. tell you, as as an engagement ring person, you know, <laughs> it was quite as stunning. a woman who likes her rings. Well, not, not rings. you know, who knows yeah, them you anyway. Would, well, because of proximity, literally, the woman was sitting immediately next to Anne, and so he was almost on Anne's knee, resting yeah. the ring yeah. as he was he asking was. the question. Yeah. It was happening right here. Literally. And it was a beautiful moment because they were deeply in love, and they kissed. She burst into tears. Yes. Everyone in the room applauded. It, it was great. With all I'm of so that going on around them. I'm so glad she said yes. Oh, thank oh, heaven. Because if she said, said no. 
no, we would have had to throw, throw them both out. We would have had to carry him out. Yeah, they would have been bringing down our momentum. Heartbreaking. But there were there were every group of people that I met and interacted with. They were all wonderful. That mm -hmm. that was a very beautiful thing to see that. And then, of course, this ball was the Lestat coronation ball. So yes. we had three people who were dressed as Lestat and sort of living oh, them, four people, amazing. actually. Amazing. And we had a winner, Brent. Mm -hmm. Brent. 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 And he's legally changed his name to Lestat Brent the Leon, Leon Corps. Okay. And uh, he was the clear winner, okay. and he was just wonderful. And they put the gold crown on his head and gave him the scepter, and then I presented him with a set of um, black leather-bound... Uh, copies of the first three Vampire Chronicles and a copy of Prince Lestat made out to him especially. Beautiful. So. And he and, made a wonderful speech. He did. He made a great speech. And Brent is part of a group that just lived the characters. There was an Armand in the group. It was wonderful. Wonderful. The Louis, there was just terrific. Uh -huh. A Pandora who was it was beautiful and Amazing. an Akasha. Yes. I mean they're oh, all great. I can't that tell Akasha, you. Akasha, she was so, so it was stunning. Like, like Brent took the award, but it was for I think the whole it made the whole group happy, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and again it was that. you were she spoke to you the night before at the meet and greet about Pandora did about how your writing had brought them together yes. as a group of friends. Yeah. I, I love those stories. I love it. I love it. Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> I loved hearing that laugh. Wasn't that great? It was great to have. Yeah. I could feel that room. I could. It was, it was like I was there. That was really a wonderful memory. Thanks for picking that one. Yeah, that was, I thought that was, was a treat. Just, just one point I'd like to make as we start. <laughs> uh oh, what? A limousine bus is just a bus. <laughs> 
A limo bus. That's what they call it. I don't know why I called it a limousine bus. But they a, call limo it a, bus. Bus. a limo bus. A limo bus. A limo bus. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just a bus. <laughs> a bus. It's a bus. No, it's different than a bus. Yeah. We didn't pull up in a school bus. It was like, had televisions and felt seats and, you know, velour. It was nice. Stripper poles. <laughs> running neon lights on the inside. Special effects lighting. Yeah, it was a party bus. It was uh, the- absolutely a party bus. But I was like, yeah, you just kept saying, I just cracked me up. I don't really care. Well, I think I was I was correcting midstream. I thought we were in a limousine, and it was like, no, we were in a bus. Because I remember we were, I was grateful for the bus because we could see over the crowd as we pulled up. If we'd been in a regular car, we wouldn't have been able to see because they were they were masked it at the barricades. It was one of the things we didn't get into in that interview was. It was a little terrifying. It was terrifying. <laughs> there was so many people, and we were so completely enclosed. Like, if anything had gone wrong. Yeah. Like, the following year, Christopher flew in security people. I from did, yes. Oliver. It wasn't nearly the event that it was the next year, because this was the first—this was celebrating the first book that she had written after her hiatus from— or The Lestance Vampires, hiatus yeah. from The Vampires. Um, she had come back with the wolf— gift novels. She had, I think, done two. And then she came back with Prince Lestat to the shock of... So she was back in Gothic Horror, right. but nobody nobody knew the vampires were coming back. So this was a big It was a big thing. deal. It was, was a very a big, big deal. deal. And it was leaving the event, like we went down a set of back stairs and sneaked yeah. out and ran down an alley and jumped yeah. into like waiting cabs and were whisked away. It was a little... It was terrifying. So yeah, I you are right. I, it was nice to be up a little from yeah. from the crowd because there was that sense of just being smushed by them. Well, I also got some commentary when videos of the second line appeared online that my second lining my my second line arm was not really fluid and graceful. It was just sort of ticking back and forth, almost like a metronome. Because I, yes, I was dancing, but I was also sort of watching the crowd and trying to get a bearing on, on where we were. And you were following that direction with your hand in the air like you just didn't care. <laughs> just like, no, it was like I cared way too much. But Put not your about your hand. hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. so it's, it's you know, I went to a ton of those for years. We went every, the first one I can remember was in a little art gallery. It wasn't little, but it was not the event space that they would later occupy. And, uh, Mom wore a blue and white floral print, I think Laura Ashley dress, which looked like the china that she would collect uh-huh. later in life. She had long hair, really long, almost waist length raven hair. And um, people came in costume. And I think that was the first time we had ever encountered a bunch of people, that many people dressed up as characters from an Anne Rice novel. Uh-huh. And they gave her a gift, and the gift, they unwrapped it. It was this terrifying mummy. It, was, it wasn't a real mummy. It was like, you know. I hope, but, but it, you never know. It was more well done than your typical Halloween store mummy. Right. And it was, I remember, it was standing upright, and they pulled the wrapping, and Mom saw the face and went, oh, God, <laughs> and drew. <laughs> and uh, it was the 80s, I guess. It was 89 or probably 90, and it was, you know, and it just, it continued year after year. Somebody, maybe you, posted a picture of her. I think it was at the Memnock Ball, but I'm not sure. But it was, she was wearing this um, black outfit with these huge puffy sleeves, and she had a big golden key around her neck. Mm. And a thing on her head. She looked like, I saw it, and I was like, oh, my God, it looks like she's playing Madame Arcati in Blythe Spirit. Oh, was she wearing a Walmart baseball cap? Because that's what she wore. She wore one of those gorgeous black Chinese wedding dresses that she had to have made over the strident objections of the dressmakers who said a black wedding dress was bad luck. But to the Memnock Ball, she wore a baseball, a Walmart baseball cap. 
with that's that. That's really funny. I yeah. did not see no no not okay. in that particular um, uh, shot. I'll see if I can find it on on Facebook and we'll. Well, the the evolution of of the party, you know, one year it was really only one year that she threw it, and that was the Memnock Ball, and that was a I think that was right after the release of the movie Interview with the Vampire. So we're talking ninety four, ninety five, maybe even I think ninety five. And that was when she hosted it at St. Elizabeth's, which she owned at the time, which was a former orphanage. Right. It was an unbelievable turnout. Three floors of this building, this city block really had been transformed into these event spaces and different themed rooms. And I had a cabaret. And no, the picture that you're showing me, which we will share, that was her Babylonian headdress era. That was the Servant of the Bones era. I see. That was the gold bus tour. Servant of the Bones was a standalone novel that was essentially, uh, well, I don't know if it should be boiled down to its essentials. It was actually a really complex work, but it was Very. about uh, Jewish mysticism and philosophy. Right. Um she looks like Madame Arcani. I just yeah. loved it. it was, she's got her hands up. She's being very dramatic, <laughs> holding forth about something. I can almost hear her. Yes. Hear her turn of voice explaining it all to us. Absolutely. It's wonderful. It's I, I don't know who posted this picture. Let's see. It's um, Horror That Rocks. Excellent. Well, you know, there were so many posts for her birthday that oh came God. through the Facebook page, her Facebook page, which I have tried <laughs> to share. Um and they all take me back to a different period in time. They really do. But I think what the reputation that the annual Halloween party got for being her sort of massive event was a direct result of the Memnock Ball. And I have to say the Memnock Ball was kind of a one-off because it was, it was so huge and it took so much work. It was like a year's worth of planning that it wasn't really repeatable on that scale. Well, I mean, that's sort of the point. It was yeah. like the it was like the coronation ball. Like I'm not mm -hmm. sure that you really could recreate that moment. That was what was so wonderful about that interview because it was about yeah. a particular moment in time. It wasn't just that we were together. It was the energy that brought us together and the excitement at the return of Lestat and the, Absolutely. the Chronicles at that point. She wrote God, a bunch more books, four or five mm -hmm. more books. You did. And so they are gathering again this year in New Orleans. It's called the Witching Hour Ball, and it's two different events. It starts with the Children of the Night reception on Thursday, October 26th, and then it continues with the Witching Hour Ball the next night at 8 p.m. And their website is vamplestot.com. And this is the Anne Rice Vampire Lestat fan club that is organizing this. This is, well, this is, looks to be a wonderful event, and, and we encourage anybody who wants to to attend. This is not the celebration of life that we have been talking about over right. time. That is, that is something that we are still in the planning stages with, and as we have told people again and again, and forgive me if you've heard this before a million times, but I can't say it enough, we will give everyone at least a year's notice so that they can plan to attend. And there is a way that you yes. can be sure that you get that notice. Yes. If you go to AnneRice.com on the new landing page, you will see newsletter signups for various themed topics in the legacy of Anne Rice. And one of them is specifically a celebration of life newsletter. And by signing up for that, what you do for us is you give us a number 
for we want to make sure we have a venue that has enough capacity for everybody who wants to attend, even if you change your mind. So if right. you sign up for the newsletter, so it's really important to sign yeah. up for this newsletter. If there's no obligation, there's no financial ask. No. There's nothing at this point. We're just trying to get a sense of how many people would want to attend, so we can plan accordingly. Absolutely, it's not a ticket, it's not a reservation, it's not anything except that. And there are other things to sign up for too. Anne's legacy yes. page, and but. If you want to, but if you're interested in the Celebration of Life, sign up for the Celebration of Life newsletter. Even if you never read it, we at least get to count you right. and to know to keep you informed as we um, move forward with that planning process. It's very Absolutely. important. It's very important, and it's very complicated. And it's it's we're not sitting here twiddling our thumbs. We've been working on it and strategizing, and trying to figure with out how to and, do it properly. Yeah, and and trying to figure out how to do something that may recur on a regular basis as well. And be an annual yes, gathering of a sort. So, yeah. So, th I mean, that that's fun. But, you know, her page has just stayed. I've gone in there every Sunday, and I've tried to be personal and focused on Anne. And the responses have been so wonderful and so warm that's and so, so supportive and so loving. Um, it hasn't always been easy to write some of the stuff because a lot of it's very raw and a lot of it has been about grieving. But most of it, I think, has taken me back nostalgically to very happy, very positive memories. And the responses are overwhelming. Like I said, we're going to do later in the show the survey that I posted. But Right. It's such a – she was such an early converter to the whole yes. social media world that she – Beckett, I think, got her started on it. When, yes. And then – she she took over a page that was that the publisher had actually already begun or it was merged into her yeah, page or it was something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. But even that was only at that point like forty thousand people, which at that point was like this huge number. And now right. it's like a million people it's over or something. A million. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, just over a million. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, she was doing newslettery stuff early, early on. She had a mail newsletter, a print newsletter called Commotion Strange. I think that was the first name for it which people have saved copies of, which they have sent to me, or they've sent me pictures, and I think some people have sent me copies. I got contacted the other day by somebody who said, I have a copy of all of your mom's interactions with an old prodigy group. Remember prodigy? Oh, my God. Chat rooms? Prodigy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That takes you back. So that, I, I, And all this stuff is just gold now. It's precious, yeah. all of it. But um, then she had the fan line or whatever it was called. It was a voicemail line where you could call a dedicated phone line that was actually connected to our house in New Orleans and hear her talk <laughs> and she would respond to questions on the phone line. It was the only listed phone number for us after a certain point. So people would call it looking for me and then they would call me and be like, I just called this other number and I listened to your mom talk about Vivaldi for about 15 minutes before I realized <laughs> there was not going to be a beep. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's yeah. Yeah, we actually have been through of some many of the kinks we've been in and around is figuring out how to open her phone. Oh God, yeah. Like before we lost it because mm -hmm. we were getting to the place that we were maybe going to start losing stuff that she was finding passwords and getting right. access to all of her precious words and writings mm -hmm. and emails and whatever has been yeah. an ongoing challenge. Yeah. And and people send me emails that she sent them that were particularly special to How them. Lovely. You know, encouraging a lot of correspondence with people who wrote to her about their desires to write. Asking for 
help and inspiration. She wasn't somebody who would read. She would never read unsolicited works for legal reasons, which is a which is a common thing with writers, particularly at her level. Yeah. But she would always share her experience and her emotional experience with the profession and the craft. And I think that touched a lot of people, a lot of people who went on to get published and have writing careers as well. So the ball that's in New Orleans this year, uh, this is the Anne Rice Vampire Lestat. How many years have they done this? Oh, I want to say 1989 or 90 was the first wow. year. Yeah, because this is this group of women, they came to her and they said, we want to do a fan club for you. And she said, you can do a fan club, but not for me. You can't, you can't. It has to be for the characters. I don't want a fan club. You know, she was suddenly shy. This was a different era. This was pre-Babylonian uh, headdress Anne. not the Anne yeah. I know. <laughs> this is, I'm too shy. I remember we were doing the book signing at a little independent bookstore in downtown New Orleans called DeVille's Books. And these women, a beautiful group of women and heavily made up, looking somewhat like the characters, but not fully costumed yet. Uh. They came up and they had this pitch and... And that's what she said to them. You can name it after the Vampire Lestat. So after a while, it became the Anne Rice Vampire Lestat fan club. Okay, so. Because, really. I know. <laughs> At some the point. The only difference between Anne Rice and the Vampire Lestat is Anne did not drink blood. Right. <laughs> totally. That's it. Right. She drank tab right. and diet coke. Yes, she was the, the tab Fire. Right. So their website uh, where you can get tickets to the ball is vamplestot.com. But yeah, 1988, man. I mean, that, no, it's it's in there. 89, 90. I mean, it's been going on that long. And they have done something. They have put together something every year since then. I don't That's think they really, ever took it. I love that. Yeah. That's, God, 20, some, 20, 20, 30. What is know, that? Thirty-four years, thirty-five old. years, we're something we're like that. We're feeling old here. We're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really yeah. We moved to New Orleans in 1988, and that's when all of this energy started sort of gathering around her because she was she was welcomed back home like a returning dignitary. You know, like it was just it, this, they gave her an honorary plot in the St. Louis Cemetery. Uh -huh. like they gave her at her one of her book signings. You know. So I, I, she felt she was treated more warmly and enthusiastically than she ever was in San Francisco. But her <laughs> resentment of San Francisco is well, everybody in San Francisco yeah. is freezing. Yeah, so. everybody. That's what it, that's what she always said about the city. Anyway, so um, so yeah, I will. We will not be in attendance. We aren't able to make it this year, but we're very excited to see them continue on. Wish them well. Absolutely. And uh, when we come back, we will have the results of the much-vaunted survey that happened on Anne's Facebook page. Can't hardly wait. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, I'm so excited to give the results of this poll. Oh, my God. And I'm sure that Emily, our is, friend, is, to, to put it together, is delighted to be done with it once and for all and wants you never to do another poll again as long as she lives. Okay, so this was the question. I always like to remind people of what the question was. Aside from the Mayfair Witches and the Vampires, what is your favorite novel or series of novels from Anne's library? So how did we break out the results? Okay, so there's favorite series, and then there's favorite uh, standalone novel, and then there's all comments. So like what what was just top ranked across both categories, which I wasn't expecting. I was like, go, Emily. You want to start from the lowest and go to the highest favorite series? Because that was really sort of the spirit of it. Well, and I I, I thought, yeah, I thought maybe top five. What do you think? Should I do, we do all? Sure, like you you were looking at the results. I have no idea. Okay. Like I have nothing, I haven't looked at any of the comments, so I have no, I I can't guess. So you'll have a better grasp on what's going to be the the meatiest and most interesting conversation. Okay. I literally have to count down five from the top. That's (laughs) it. That's that's brutal. That's all all the math Christopher can do. Okay. So the fifth most popular, I feel like we should have a drum roll or sound effect. The fifth most popular. (laughs) Listen, if you swipe right for the next option. Uh, The Songs of the Seraphim, which are the Angel Time books. Okay. That was the fifth most popular series. The uh, fourth was the Life of Christ novels. All right. Um, the third was the Ramsey's The Dam series, which I'm excited about because yes, I co-wrote two of That's actually part of, yeah. Wolf Gift Chronicles came in second, and I'll let you guess what was first. Sleeping Beauty? Yes, indeed, with 689 out of 4,000 votes. Wow. The Sleeping Beauty series comes in first. Yeah, I got yeah. it. I nailed that one. Have you read the Sleeping Beauty series? I have series? listened to you read aloud from the Sleeping Beauty series, but that's as close as I've ever gotten. I didn't get very far. I think yeah, that, that was, was the joke. Yeah, That was how it went, as I recall. So that's how much I've heard. That's how much I've read. And do you have a block with the Sleeping Beauty series, or...? No, it has just never really been something that I've been, you know, it's never really occurred to me. Now that you ask me, it's like, huh, I really haven't tried any of those, like Exit to Eden or the Sleeping Beauty series or any of the Rolark or... Rokalar. Rokalar or whatever it is. (laughs) Like Rolark. He's an ancient Celtic god that we summon. None of the, I haven't read any of the the erotic books, I, I don't think. I don't think so. My, well, you had read a lot was, of her work before you met her, right? You had read the Vampire Chronicles for I'd sure. I'd read the Vampire Chronicles for sure before I right. met her, and the Witching Hour books for sure. Oh, okay. Um, before I had met her. Um, yeah, I read I read a lot of it in real time. Like, I read the first three together. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think there were some that were already out, and then as they came out, I continued to 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 read them but yeah mm-hmm. from like as many books as were out by 19 oh i'm gonna say 89 90 mm-hmm. that's how many i read initially okay almost like at a piece and then steadily from there on out okay so let's let's shift over to favorite novel because the results there were somewhat different um, okay. Wait a minute. Let's make sure I'm looking at this correctly. Yes, novels. So uh, one more. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. So the fifth most favorite novel was Violin. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing one. The fourth was The Mummy. Yeah, that that was a that was quite the book. The third was Servant of the Bones, which we talked about earlier. Love that book. The area the era of Babylonian headdresses. Right. The second was Feast of All Saints. Interesting. Love that. That's such an interesting story. And the first with a considerable lead, Cry to Heaven. Yeah. A standalone, non-supernatural, historical Absolutely. novel. Right, Castrati singers. I, I mean, the the follow up question for me would be: Did you get the same experience out of reading Cry to Heaven as you did out of the vampire or the out of the supernatural sagas that she was known for? That's really interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I would have to say yes. Yeah, because it still has that sort of um, underlying gravitas. The the right. you know, the moment, the the fate. Of life, the mm-hmm. way that the fate of life, the thing, the Lestat appeal is the he he has this he makes the most of it, but he has this life kind of thrust upon him as right. we all do. Right, and I think that was very much the sense in Cry to Heaven. That yes, same he's sort a, of he's abducted and castrated against his will, turned into a castrati against his will. It's a horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. I think both of them are. Both of the heroes are are are. It's done to them without their consent. Right. Yeah, and it is and it's like Magnus to the dragging you into the tower and yeah. making you a vampire, right? It's the right. same vibe. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was that was um I I don't I don't want to say that I was shocked, you know, by Cry to Heaven being at the top. Cry to Heaven got 723 your... votes out of 4000 votes. What would be your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Oh, I it would be hard to pick a favorite that's not that's not The Witching Hour to be completely frank, but I would say um, yeah, the witching hour is really. You know, the mummy is right up there. The first book I ever read of hers was Belinda, and that's so controversial. I don't, we can't talk about that today. That was like her take on Lolita. Um, I would probably have to say, um, ooh, that's really a tough one. I don't have an answer to this question. Well, you, you were talking about violin recently. Um, yes, uh, last spring, I think you wrote a long post about. Yeah. Um, Violin as its own sort of remarkable kind of book, and many of the themes that were were very similar. And and you said very autobiographical, very autobiographical. The closest of the, that she had ever come to writing a memoir at the time. It's excruciatingly painful to read parts of it today because she's just right up with her stuff. You know, yeah. like you, you know, there's no, there was always a sense early on that Claudia was a metaphor, and if you if you said to to her that she was writing about the death of her daughter, she would just say, you're out of your mind. That's not what this is about. Then, years later, she came to accept, oh, of course, obviously, that's what I was writing about. It's hard to totally take her yeah. out of the mix to, for those events to have been so close together. But in Violin, she was absolutely writing about the death of her mother, and she was absolutely writing about the death of her friend John Preston from AIDS. She made turned the character into the husband of the heroine, but it was absolutely yeah. the story. And so... Um, and she was absolutely writing about her family. It was just, it was the closest she ever came to putting certain members of her family who shall remain nameless onto the page of her books. And so it was, it was an exhilarating thing to read in the moment because she'd never done anything like it before. Right. And she asked me to write a screenplay of it. I had just gone off to college and she knew I had Hollywood ambitions. And she said, if you're going to adapt anything of mine, she, she was like, everything else is so tied up and rights deals and whatever. This is new. I haven't sold it to anybody. 
write a script. And so I, I took a crack at it, and I, you know, I, I think it need, <laughs> needs to be revisited. I wrote it when I was 18 years old. But at the same time, it was my first experience of working with her on anything at all. Uh, so yeah. it, was, it was really a deeply, deeply personal novel. So, yeah, I have something to, uh, for uh, the Dinner Partners production yeah. to look at. I, I know. Reviewing your old script and giving it a punch-up read. Blowing the dust off it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, you know, I have to say, I, well, no, I, I the wolves were on the table. The wolves, I didn't disqualify the wolves. I said you couldn't pick a vampire book or a witch book. Yeah. And I'd have to say the world of the wolves I really love. That's really that first. So a series yeah. that would be if it wasn't the, yeah. the other two it would be. I mean, I should be saying Ramses because I wrote two of them with her, but but it, I, I'm going to disqualify them for that reason. As a reader, I'm going to answer that the wolf series, the yeah, the man wolf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you answer? No, I haven't yet. Okay. Well, I, I would say it's your turn. What would you? You want me to repeat the question for you? Well, I mean, we've got the two like. I I have kind of the same answer as you on the series. Like, I would pick the Wolf books. Part of why I would pick the Man Wolf series is because it's something that I had the experience of actually talking with right. her about as she was developing. Because I I remember very distinctly having the conversation with her of it that. I did not like werewolf things typically because it was all about that bones cracking mm -hmm. and things coming through skin and, and ooze. And yeah, I, I just found them repulsive. I just, I yeah. never liked them for, for that reason. I, I, I am frequently the transition into a wolf frequently repels me. It's mm -hmm. so violent and, and, uh, I don't know, physical. Grotesque. It's a yeah. really grotesque kind of transformation. And she, I, for whatever reason, either agreed with me or took it to heart from the conversations, but it's very much not written that way. He does mm -hmm. not go through those kinds of grotesque iterations. I, I remember you guys that, hashing it out right there at the table how she would do it if she did it. That's my memory, but maybe I invented that after the fact. And it, it may, that may well actually yeah. be true. I just I remember having that conversation about it and then seeing how she realized it in reading the books and, and then the way that the book that it evolved. The the the, the Christmas book, the the Wolfman Christmas book is just like yeah. that's such an Anne Rice. It's yeah. so Victorian <laughs> and so beautiful and so Anne, Dickensian and so right. Anne and so really, really um fun books. I would also say that I don't consider the um the Ramses books in the same way mm -hmm. because I don't consider those just her series. Mm. Like you have become such a part of it because I am – it's another thing, another property of hers that I'm really excited. There's so much potential in the mm -hmm. in the works that particularly you participated in with her mm -hmm. towards the the development of Beck Totten and that whole mm -hmm. ancient culture that she was part of and yeah. the book that she had written, the list of all of the ancient secrets could be its own book. Mm -hmm. There's there's so much rich territory there. Like I loved The Mummy as a standalone piece for a long time and then the two of you turned that into – yeah this whole world-building exercise of developing this completely new look and take on mm -hmm. the, the whole process, even even just in real time, right. of where we left them and what comes next with people off to Chicago and people off to, you know, yeah. everybody is, new alliances developing, Cleopatra finding mm -hmm. a new, like, 
everybody finding a new life in that. All of those are interesting, and I, I, I'm looking forward to more of those. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but also the potential for for, for what's there, you know, yeah. to, to, to grow into it. So I very much love that series, but I don't consider it in the same way as I do Wolf Gift because that's kind of right. your series as, as much as hers anymore. Well, though, thank you. The yeah. Mummy was obviously the, the kickoff. I mm-hmm. Mummy w- might be, if I was going to pick a standalone might be the one that I would pick. Yeah. As as you know, just the the standalone novel from from out the t- and again I'm like you like without the the other books. Like I love Lestat and I love Witching Hour. I just I know, it's a hard there's one. so many and Witching Hour very much for the same reason you love violin. I found um the character of Michael Curry. Curry. God, almost went out of my head there. Michael Curry is, uh, to me, the most autobiographical oh, character from the whole series. That he, Michael Curry is Anne Rice. Absolutely. Like, it, it is the single most autobiographical it's thing. Her window into Irish Catholic New Orleans is Michael Curry. Yeah. Absolutely. When she, when we lost her, one of the things I did was reread that book yeah. because I wanted to be with her. Yeah, totally. And in, in New Orleans and in San Francisco, even his contempt for San Francisco. Everything about his reaction to San Francisco, <laughs> his love-hate relationship, because he does love. There were things he loved about it, but there was also things that were challenging. Loves for him. the Victorians, hates the climate. Right. Yeah. And that was very much the Anne Rice take on. Yeah. On on San Francisco, a city that she loved to hate. Um, Absolutely. And very much. Oh my God, the talking about coming up as a creative person in a mm-hmm. in an environment that isn't really conducive to that, and right. all of that. Finding appreciation for the arts where she could, yeah. in a stifling and very religiously lockstepped kind of world, and, and mm-hmm. place all of it is so very Anne, yeah, and, uh, absolutely such rich territory. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's that is hands down my favorite novel out of any of them, The Witching Hour. And I think that's true of a lot of people. Just I mean, the other question to do, or the other poll to do on her Facebook page is okay, just confining it now to the witches and the vampires. What was the other thing on the... Oh, in the top five novels, let's see, there was... Top five novels, top five list, and then you said there was one other category. Oh, all all comments, let's see, I have a tab here. This is Christopher Navigates an Excel spreadsheet for the first time in several months. Uh, Let's see, Anne Rice favorite novel series polls. Uh, No, I think... I think I might have misspoke. The series, the novel... Okay, here we go, all comments... No, there wasn't an all. Yeah, six hundred and eighty-nine votes for the Sleeping Beauty as a series, and then seven hundred and twenty-three votes for Cry to Heaven as a standalone novel. So I think that gives you a sense of how yeah. the top vote getters yeah. spread across the whole poll. But I think the next poll is going to be okay. What's your favorite vampire novel? What's your favorite witch novel? Should I do them separate or should I do them together? Since the series crossed over, hmm, that is really. I think you have to do them separate because they there is a crossover, but they both have their own distinct mm-hmm. personality and storyline. So, okay. I think it's worth doing them on their own. Excellent. Well, I think this has been Ann Tober. A lovely tradition begins, I should say. Absolutely. I think that should be, we should call it Antober from now on. From now on. I've always thought October was kind of a, I don't know, utilitarian name. Absolutely. 
Uh, reminder again, we mentioned that there is a celebration of life and development that we will be giving you over a year's notice and that the best way to stay in the loop and to provide us with a good figure that we can use to secure an the event with the right capacity. you can make to the process. AnneRice.com. On the landing page, there is a mailing list. Sign up if you are interested in attending. It does not involve a financial commitment. You're just giving us essentially a head count for this event to come. Absolutely. We know you all have been exceedingly patient with us, and we promise it will pay off in the event to come. Well, we're going to do our best. <laughs> I, I don't know about promising. <laughs> it's like events are very mercurial. We yes. will see how the event, we have, we have high hopes for it. But the other thing I would say is that there has been a lot to deal with. Mm. Anne was a big, mm -hmm. expansive life, and there are a lot of aspects to it that um, have needed to be dealt with as well. And uh, so your patience has been very appreciated and your participation and acknowledgement by signing up for that list will be still more appreciated and help move us closer towards the goal of at least inaugurating the celebration of life, if not developing an ongoing celebration annual event, maybe in October. Who knows? Absolutely. But next week... Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club returns. It's a Halloween-themed episode. We will be serving like up an episode of the series Homicide for the Holidays entitled Halloween Horror. That is season four, episode five. For those of you who like to watch ahead, it is not a requirement. We serve up the episode in such steaming detail, you will feel like you watched it with us in the room shouting at the screen. <laughs> We're saying, is there more tea? <laughs> Or shouting for service. <laughs> Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.